0: If you enjoy this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and visit our website at lifebetweenthevines.com.
1: What makes me crazy is the fact that it only get one shot a year and all this experimentation and everything that you want to do to learn and know more and continue to improve, you really only get one chance a year to come up with like a a set of experimental trials and so it just takes a long time to learn so you have to kind of resign to this uh, generational aspect and the old world has generations in front of us.
0: Discovering and tasting wine shouldn't be a homework assignment and we believe that the people who are closest to wine have the best stories so open a bottle. And welcome to podcast number 584. This week we feature Ben Howe, Vice President of Winemaking for the Stoller Wine Group, Willamette Valley. A short drive from Portland is Willamette Valley, which is an extraordinary must-see winery. Pinot Noir and Chardonnay Rain, but many other varietals make their mark in this fertile area. It literally is a grower's paradise. Ben Howe is now Vice President of Winemaking for Willamette Valley's Stoller Wine Group, which comprises several labels. We spoke with founding winemaker Melissa Burr last week, and here's our chance to look at things from Ben's perspective. Wine in Oregon, it is almost heaven. You can hear Ben on our Vino Lingo segment defining the term baby fat. I'm back on the phone talking to Ben Howe, and Ben is the vice president of winemaking at Stoller Wine Group. Ben, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm very good. Thank you for taking the time today. So, this is really a new position for you, correct?
1: Um, yeah, you know, I joined Stoller in 2015. I've um, been kind of back and forth between you know, some kind of winemaking or operations um, for a number of years. But, yeah, it's a. Uh, kind of having Melissa, her kind of moving out of the formal position and kind of representing the winery in a different way and, uh, you know, stepping in and kind of trying to, I guess, re-energize the staff or just energize them. And, um, yeah, so there's, there's a little different perspective I have when I come into work every day.
0: Great. Well, it, it's obviously a, a great honor to be in the position and to work with somebody like Melissa is pretty special because uh, a great winemaker and, and a fun person to be around.
1: Yeah, yeah, she's great. She's certainly an asset for us, and we're uh, we definitely can plan to continue to use her to her, uh, you know, to as a good resource for us for getting telling a story, basically.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, Ben, let's talk about you mm-hmm. and your history in the business. You know, there's that famous question I'm sure you've gotten one or two thousand times. Was there a time when you were bit by the bug? How did you get into the wine industry?
1: Yeah, I was in like, uh, in tech for a while, you know, I, I went and I got just a two year degree straight out of high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and I was working in just basically electronics repair kind of field. Um, I worked for an avionics company, um, and then at some point moved out to Oregon, you know, when I was like twenty, twenty-one 21 years old and, um, Moved to Oregon, kind of started working here. Just needed a change of scenery from where I grew up. I was living in Kansas City at the time. Um, worked for Hewlett Packard for a little bit, and that's in Corvallis. And there I kind of discovered the fermentation science program um, at Oregon State. And so I uh, had been, like, home brewing because where I grew up, it was hard to find good beer or good anything, you know, so I was Basically, started to make my own stuff. So um, at that time, you know, I was interested. I was like a home brewer and just kind of interested in fermentation. Um, found out about the program and it was a really well-rounded science program. So you know, you learn a little about chemistry, a little about physics, engineering, and so it really seemed like a, a good program. And you know, simultaneously, um, I didn't grow up drinking a lot of fine wine, but Getting introduced to Oregon Pinot Noir was uh, was an amazing experience. You know, I had a number of them, and then the most memorable kind of where the I got bit by the bug was Ken Wright came to one of our one of my classes when I was at Oregon State, and you know, really tasting those wines were amazing. So that was that was kind of where I got the the bug. Kind of hit me there. So,
0: but it's always interesting to find out people's backgrounds as they come into wine because it's a technical business. It's not. Uh, just something you fall into it is something that you obviously have to be severely dedicated to right
1: oh definitely i mean what i would yeah, there's there's a number of different pathways to to the, the business and whatever job and that's kind of the amazing part about it i think is that you know there's so many different backgrounds that people have and so you can you learn so much from your industry colleagues and so yeah there's at the end of the day, getting a, some sort of technical education or just experience is, is a must for sure. And so, you know, coming out of the university system, um, I feel like I had a really good head start on that. And, uh, you know, and then learn the rest as, as you go as well. So.
0: so, Ben, tell me, how many vintages have you got uh, behind you so far?
1: Um, started in 2005 um, with... I would say one at school, um, and then, in, you know, picked it up in 2006. So, and then a couple of, you know, off-hemisphere ones are off the off the cycle of the northern hemisphere anyway. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking it's like 20 at this point in time.
0: Yeah, that's a fair amount. Of course, when you're working that dual hemisphere thing, it uh, it uh, does double up a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they They certainly piled up quicker than... I thought they would. So 20 years goes by pretty quickly.
0: Yes, it does. (laughs) And we'll leave it at that. In all this time, uh, you know, is there kind of like one lesson uh, other than not getting killed or anything like that, that, you know, sticks in your head that uh, sort of guides what you do as a winemaker?
1: Oh, um, I would say, I mean, a single lesson is, you know— is basically I would I mean pick when the fruit is ripe. That's the the, the best one. Pick when the fruit is ready, you know. I, I think you know, somebody had told me at one point in time, uh, you know, you get a French guy actually said if you bring good grapes into the liner, your job's ninety percent done already. So I mean that's the critical part of it all I think.
0: Yeah, that's a fair thing to say. Along those lines you know, when you talk to people, whether they're industry people or or civilians like myself, do you uh have you ever got anybody who's given you some really wacky crazy advice that you thought, okay, that's that's kinda different?
1: Um, I don't know about specific I'd have to kinda of think about that, but I mean, yeah, there's a lot of uh of I guess quacks in the industry as well. <laughs> so you can think about uh you know, um a lot of people with a lot of ideas that aren't necessarily rooted in science, I would say. And that's kind of where I go back to, um, to be able to, you know, have it be a valid kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's fair, uh, as it should be. Um, yeah. I was talking to Melissa a little while ago, and one of the things we talked about were tasting groups. Do you belong to a tasting group at this time?
1: Um, Actually not, you know. My wife... And I, I mean, she's in the industry as well. She's not in winemaking, and we we do our best to explore the different regions and you know different countries. Typically, we're buying mostly imported wines for the for home anyway, because we just have enough of the wines in the area, honestly. And so, yeah, just continuously. Uh, searching and, and exploring. There's a couple of really nice wine bars in McMinnville where I live, and so um, it's a great opportunity to kind of work through different lists and explore new new things and discovery.
0: Well, for some of these other wines you're talking about, do you have a specific area that you tend to lean towards?
1: Well, I mean, classic Burgundy for an Oregon winemaker is a great place to explore. Unfortunately, that's very expensive these days, and it's kind of getting there, and so... Um, find myself buying a lot of Italian wines these days. I mean, there are so many varieties there and unique wines that are produced in different ways um, that are not traditional to, to what we do. And it's just, I mean, that's the fascinating part is there's so much history and tradition into and, and what they do. And so, that's, of course, the French high-quality wines, all that, but the Italians, there's just always something a little unique about their region. Yeah. So that's that's been a fun place to explore for the time being, or for right now anyway.
0: Well, how would you describe to people who haven't tried Oregon wine, and I'd like to think in the world of wine drinkers, there's pretty much no one who hasn't, but, you know, it's like anything else when you're trying to turn people on to a new area or an area they're simply unfamiliar with. How would you describe Oregon wine?
1: Um, I mean, the bit, the best benefit I can say about our wines that we make in Oregon or that I've the highlighting feature, I would say, is that they're they're food wines, and that's what I think really makes wine special, and something that no other beverage can really stand up to. Is you know, is uh, going through a a, a full meal, it, you can find a wine that that balances a meal. But for Pinot Noir, specifically an Oregon Pinot Noir, they're complex. Um, they can have a, a, an acidity that stands up to so many different kinds of food, and they, they're kind of like the everything wine. So they're great for just not having to think about it too hard and just grab a bottle of Pinot, and you're set.
0: Cool. Nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah. And Chardonnay is the counterpoint on the white. So between – with those two varietals that were produced here, I mean – yeah, they're they're great food wines and the and the cuisine that we have in the Northwest. It's I feel like we're kind of one of those regions where we have and that's what you get in the old world. It seems like the food always pairs up to the wines that right. are produced in the local region. And I feel like in Oregon we really are. I mean, we really have that here. We have a lot of a lot of great quality you know producers of of foods and you know, uh, produce and so and the seafood on the coast and so we have really good foods to work with with our wines and it just feels like we're we're pretty close to that old world kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It's a good place to go and eat, that's for sure. Yeah. This is kind of a question that could be either a positive answer or a negative answer. That's entirely up to you. Or it could be both. What makes you crazy about wine?
1: Oh, that's pretty easy. Um, the the, what makes me crazy is the fact that it you only get one shot a year, and you so you, in all this experimentation and everything that you want to do to learn and know more, and continue to improve, you really only get one chance a year to come up with like a, a set of experimental trials or or anything, and so it just takes a long time to learn. So you have to kind of resign to this. Uh, Generational aspect, and we are—I mean, the old world has generations in front of us, and so they—they—they they, they have that advantage. Like, Grandpa used to do it like this, Dad did it like that. You know, I'm going to continue to do that, or or whatever it might be. You know, sometimes that can be a bit restrictive, but yeah, yeah, we we just we just you can't sit there and tinker with it as much as you I would like to, anyway. <laughs>
0: That's interesting. You know, when you spend time with people, whether it be at a wine dinner or even in a tasting room or whatever it might be, how do you describe smells to people? How do you try and get that thought across to people, especially people who are newer to tasting wine and wanting to learn?
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, I've always, I've never been a great uh, wine word person. You know, it's like I kind of find that people like to, you know, okay, it tastes like melon. So they've Kind of get to the source or find out, you know, which melons are cool sounding. So you know, they talk about specific melons, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's a bit much. Um, I have, I like to think about it in terms of almost like um, colors is a really good analogy for me to be able to kind of relate to, and people can relate to. Um, it seems to kind of match up whether the wine is kind of has a brown note to it, or you know, bright red if it's like a raspberry-natured Pinot Noir. Um, so colors, and then I also think about the um, like a if you look at like a sound equalizer, you know, you have the bass is typically on the left side, and the treble notes are on the right, and I kind of am always visualizing how you know complex that that is. You know, there's these bass notes that are kind of darker round and then you have like more floral notes or, you know, stuff that is kind of rising up in the in the treble region, I guess. And so that's really how I like to think about it anyway. I think that people can identify with that, or some people can identify with that.
0: Well I certainly do as an audio guy, so that was a really good answer. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: hmm And then there's a there's a time factor, I guess I would say too. And so there's obviously the when you you smell it, you know, that's your first experience with it, and, of course, looking at it, but you know, it goes on the palate, and then that's kind of when the clock starts, and so you kind of feel how it is in your mouth, you swallow, you know, how long does it last, how is that sensation of the wine changing over the course of time while we're doing it?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I've come to the... Uh to the part of the interview, which is pretty much my favorite question, and it's it's a challenging one. I'll let you think about it for a moment. You know, you get to do media. You talk to all kinds of different people. Uh, what's the one question that you've never been asked that you would like to be asked?
1: Oh. Oh, man. I, you know, this is one of the ones I reviewed. <laughs> I, was oh. like, I hope he doesn't ask me that question. <laughs> but, uh,
0: Everybody gets asked that question.
1: Yeah. I would say you know after thinking about it a little bit I think like how do you do it while having a 7 year old and a 2 year old you know so that's uh yeah that's a hard thing to do you know it's uh, there's I mean especially during the harvest season there's you know we're here 7 days a week 12 hours a day um and so I rely on my family, my wife and my family to kinda of help help out, you know, and uh it's it's a sacrifice that we all have to make in order to do what we love and so, you know, my wife and my kids also sacrifice with us. But, you know, there's a lot of uh the company that I work for, Stoller, they um they recognize that and there's a lot of goodwill going back to recognizing that. So
0: That's great. Yeah. I mean, it is a very complicated thing. That was a good answer, though. I'm glad you took the time. Yeah, cool. All right. I don't always like asking this question, but there is part of this because of any business. But what turns you off about wine?
1: I would say the biggest thing for me is the kind of the perceived barrier to people getting into wine. You know, me, in that way, there's a lot of, intimidation about it. You know, I was like, I remember meeting with a a marketing team once and we were, this wasn't when I worked for Solo, but we were talking about designing a label and, you know, they, it was for a retail wine and so their perspective was like, you know, your average person goes into the grocery store and wine purchasing is intimidating because they're thinking, you know, especially if you have to buy, bring a wine for a dinner or something like that. Um, So, it it, it is an experience that is intimidating to people and you know there's kind of a it's a long learning curve of course and it takes a long time to really to learn and we're never going to get there nobody really is ever there there's certainly experts but um it's just that barrier that is kind of it's a perceived barrier it's like it should be more simple than it is you know it's not over complicated at first, and people are always going to learn and work up so um that's that's frustrating to me and there's there's a lot of the a lot of things and lingo and all that kind of stuff in the business that still kind of keeps people i feel like away and we need to bring in more consumers into our into our world so
0: well said, I completely agree. For our listeners who'd like to learn a bit more about you, Ben, as well as Stoller Wine Group and its various labels, what is your website? Um,
1: it is com, or you can reach us at StollerWineGroup.com as well.
0: Very good. Ben, this was a pleasure to kind of meet you virtually or through a phone. I guess it's not officially virtual. But uh, thank you for the time, and I wish you uh, nothing but luck at uh, Stoller. Thank you. great experience. Learn more by visiting StollerWineGroup.com. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast at LifeBetweenTheVines.com or sign up to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Life Between the Vines comes to you from Fifth Floor Recording Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Produced and edited by Ray Pfister. Our host is Kay Pascoff. Our web geek is Dan Gieschen. Original music by Ray Pfister. Copyright 2024.